Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Hey, what's up? It's Craig. Quick word before we start the podcast, because the commanders made a switcheroo on us. We recorded this around 9 a.m. on Monday morning. We finished around 10 a.m. And immediately after the commanders announced that Trent Williams and Robert Griffin III were being added to the voting for their all-time 90th anniversary team, we talked about both players, actually, Trent more than Robert, not being on the initial list to be voted onto the 90 and their potential places on that list. Obviously, we didn't know that right after the podcast, they would be added for consideration. So with that said, uh, you will now understand the context of the conversation. Everything we said was still relevant. And now, uh, obviously, you can vote based off of uh, the information that we give in part, as well as your own recollections of both players who certainly have their place in Washington's franchise history, but wanted to note that before we hit play. So uh, with that noted, let's hit play. Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports, Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson. If you want more from us on Twitter, for me, at Hoffman Show. Uh, Logan, our goal was on the radio show to get that account to 1,000 followers by the start of the show today. And um, I don't think we're going to make it. How close are you right now? We, uh, we, if we can get to 500 by the start of the show, we'll be in, in good shape. We had, this is for we had the a Hoffman nice thing? Burst. Yeah, this, at Hoffman Show on Twitter is what we're, what we're going for here. Oh, uh, dude. Well, dude, you didn't tell me that. I'll put something on my Instagram. If you okay. give me something, if you give me something, I'll put it on my Instagram. <laughs> That's true. And if you want Logan's Instagram, it's at Logan underscore Paulson 82. I'm just going to make like a fancy graphic now that's yeah. like, follow at Hoffman show and be like, Logan, just don't, I know this has nothing to do with you, but can you post it on your grid and like spend, spend some money on promoting it as a sponsored post? No, that would, that would be aggressive. Uh, but you can, again, follow on Twitter at Hoffman Show where you can submit questions for our mailbags or you can hit Logan at Logan underscore Paulson 82 on Instagram. So uh, social media is a place where a lot of discussion about this has been happening. The commanders announced over the weekend, I guess I guess it was late Friday, they put out some of their 90th anniversary material, including the commemorative patch that is going to be worn on the jerseys this year. And they also put out a 90th anniversary team like information so they they did 80 they did 70 in 2002 and or 2012 and 2002 and now in 2022 they're obviously doing the 90 and they have uh they have the 80 players and they're going to add 10 more so just like the nba 75 did theirs remember when you filled in on radio and you were arguing with me about nba 75 yeah and that i don't went, know anything about was, nba yeah it was it went so well um, I think it went well. I mean, I think people were into it. I don't know. No, it was. It was. It was actually great radio, despite your uh, your 
less than uh, less than enthused knowledge base of the NBA. <laughs> Did I put that nicely without being yeah. a total jack wagon? Well, no, no, it was it's it, it was fair. I, I didn't know. I don't know that much about the NBA. I knew like five people, and I brought those people up kind of on repeat in the conversation. But it I worked. think I brought up some great points. So. I think you did. I think you did. It's because you're, you're a smart man. Um, but so same kind of thing. They took their 50 and then added 25 new ones. No changes to the previous. Commander's doing the same thing. They have their 80 previous that were named in 02, or sorry, in 2012. And they add, they're adding 10 more. And they put 15 names out. And so the 15 names that are available here to be added to vote are some of the best names that you would expect over the last 10 years, and then some guys who didn't make the cut that were certainly eligible in that previous stint. So in alphabetical order here, you have Champ Bailey. Uh, actually, no, I guess these, aren't in, these are just in a random just, order. Just go Ch- for it, yeah. Champ Bailey, uh, D'Angelo Hall, Stephen Davis, Joe Lavender, Laverne Torgerson, uh, Kirk Cousins, Alfred Morris, Mike Sellers, Daryl Grant, Larry Pecatiello, uh, Chip Lomiller, London Fletcher, Chris Cooley, Santana Moss, Ryan Kerrigan. I think some of these guys are pretty obvious locks and, and certainly the faces of the franchise over the last decade and a half, two decades. Uh, and then there's some other guys that I kind of wonder, I'm like, well, you guys didn't make the cut at 80, so why do you get to make it at 90? Um, and, then, and then there's the glaring omission. Do we start mm-hmm. with the glaring omission, or do we? you want to chop up some of these guys and tell some stories about some of these guys first? Um, whatever you want to do. I think if we, if we go glaring omission, I think we can talk. Let's go glaring omission first. So I think one of the things about this list is they seem to want to get guys that capture the, the best of the commander's Washington football team, Redskins history. And so what I mean by that is you're not necessarily getting the best football players, but you're getting guys who are good football players during like golden era of, of football. So like an example, like Daryl Grant, I think is an interesting one. Like he was a solid NFL player, but he didn't like statistically kill it, but he was on the three Super Bowl teams or two Super Bowl teams. So he kind of captures this moment of, of this team's history that makes them very good, right? So I think a lot of people look at this and the, the glaring omission is Trent Williams, and I think they say, well, why is he on the list? And I, and I question whether or not he captures something truly unique about the organization. Now, that's the argument I was kind of formulating in my mind when you said Trent, Million, Trent Williams was omitted. But then you get Kirk Cousins on the list. Right. And Kirk Cousins, while I think he will be, people will remember him, his career is a very solid NFL career. A guy who got paid a lot of money. Did and a nice by the job. way, holds a ton of passing records for this organization. Yeah. Um, if he's on the list, and again, and and the and I think if he's on the list, and the way that he ended it with this organization, and kind of the friction that he had that year, why isn't Trent on the list? And I and that that to me is kind of the question because Trent was, you know, definitely top five at the position while he played here, and then now obviously is the number one offensive lineman graded by PFF. You know, he's got a ninety nine in Madden, all these different things like, and you you kind of you want to avoid the idea of kind of giving him. Uh, an award for the commander's organization for what he's done in San Francisco, but he, he played really well while he was here. And he was so, still great while he was here. Yeah, correct. I mean, and, and he overlaps with so many of these guys that I think it's, I mean, it's pure, let's call it what it is. Like it's either incredible oversight mm. or pettiness because right. the way things ended with Trent here were as nasty as any franchise player and an organization has ever ended. I mean, I was all over that story. That was mm. my time on the beat. Trent and I had a good relationship and I had good sources in his camp that 
you know, I helped break some of the things that happened in that story with the cancer and with, you know, what was going on with his head and the surgeries. And, and, you know, I was intimately familiar. And then when Trent was ready to talk afterwards, he did an interview with Mike Jones. And then we followed up that, that uncovered some extra bombshells, um, in an interview that I did. So I, I was fairly involved as, as, mm-hmm. in, as involved as a media person can be in any given story. And I mean, it was ugly. The thing was though, that, that I think is surprising about this is the ugliness was between Trent and Bruce and the medical staff right. and all people that aren't here anymore. And Trent was adamant throughout the entire time until the very end that Dan was incredibly helpful, that Dan sent his mm. private plane, that Dan, Dan was very nice about everything. And Dan was trying to do what he could to help. I think at the end, his tune may have changed a little bit because at the end of the day, like Dan sided with Bruce and, and you know, all those folks over Trent, like, they still they still shipped him out, but the pettiness there, if that is why this has happened, is just it's it's unbecoming, and it's especially at a time when this organization is really pushing for good PR. It's just it's a brutal mistake because if you want to evaluate it on like football terms, which is what this is supposed to be about, how many surefire Hall of Famers have played for this organization, and especially yeah. in the last thirty years? Like you want to look at this list and Champ Bailey, who makes the Hall of Fame because of most of what he did in Denver. I mean, D Hall was a great player, not Hall of Famer. You know, Stephen Davis was really good for a long time, not a Hall of Famer. You know, maybe uh, London is the only one. Yeah, London. London's probably a Hall of Famer. Kerrigan's probably not. um, Despite the sack numbers, like Ring of Fame kind of guy. Santana would have been if he had played with any better quarterbacks he played with 14 in 14 years what about I mean, Cooley uh, I mean Cooley I, had I th- I two think really good years three yeah, good years I don't think Cooley was great for long enough to be a Hall mm. of Famer like he's unquestioned ring of fame guy yeah. um, here but not good enough to be a Hall of Famer and Trent is a surefire potentially first ballot Hall of Famer right. now that first ballot status comes in part because what he's continued to do in San Francisco but if he played like 10 years here and yeah. or eight years, eight nine years, years here, yeah. or something like that. He played a long time here. He played at an exceptionally high level. He was the best player on the team the entire time he was here. I I don't know what more you want, and it's just it's either an unbelievable oversight or it's it's nefarious. And if it's nefarious, then it it's uh, it's a really bad look for the organization to put it very nicely. Yeah, and like to I guess to kind of play devil's advocate here, you know, Trent. Uh, is a guy that I have a lot of respect for as a player, but I know that the organization didn't always appreciate his kind of approach in terms of how he worked at the position. Now, Trent is a guy that, I've said this before, his, he was always prepared, he was always physically ready to go, but he wasn't a guy who was going to do the extra stuff. He wasn't going to like mentor the young guys, he wasn't going to watch extra film, and he didn't have to. He doesn't have to. He just gets it at a really high level. He intuits football at a very high level, but I know that that bothered a lot of people in the building for a long time about him, that he kind of wouldn't take on a bigger leadership role within the organization. So again, like there's a little bit of friction there. And then, you know, I talked to some of the training staff members and about Trent and, you know, they were kind of like, again, they're trying to play cover your own ass a little bit, which is totally fine. But they're like, you know, Trent is not the most um, willing guy to kind of go to a doctor's appointment. And so like it got worse as the time went on. And, um, you know, they were, again, they're trying to kind of, mitigate some of their own accountability there which i totally it makes sense they would try to do that but he did not have the best relationship with 
the organization during his time here. Again, he was a fantastic player. He was a fantastic teammate to me and a guy that I, again, I would love to see on this list. He should be on this list. But in terms of looking for reasons as to why potentially he's not, I know a lot of people wanted more from him while he was here. And potentially that's the reason why, as opposed to it being more of a, um, more of like a, uh, you know, like a pettiness over the over how it how over how it finally ended. I guess is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I, I I hear you. I'm not saying anything you're saying is wrong. I just think to give, right. if that holds that much weight, like that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Because you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, okay, sure, but what did he give you? He gave you the absolute best left tackle play in the league, not named Joe Thomas for the better part yeah. of a decade. And uh, at the end of the day, that's what you drafted him for, and that's what you paid him for. Uh, and and he delivered and, on that. So. And also, to be fair, I guess from like an evaluation standpoint, like I didn't watch all of Trent's play, pro- plays in preparation for this conversation, but I did go look at his PFF grades over his career. And obviously the last two years, or the last year in San Francisco was insane. Like you've never seen a grade like that. They've never seen right. a grade like that. And they've right. mentioned they've that on their podcast. And their new, yeah. And, uh, but if you look at his, his time here, he was a little cyclical. Like he'd have a very good year, then two kind of average years, and a very good year, and then two kind of average years. So... Again, I don't think that justifies not putting him on the list, honestly. Uh, but um, you know, there there might be an argument from somebody in the building somewhere saying, "Oh, well, he was, you know, he wasn't quite as good as you know Tyron Smith or yeah. Joe Thomas or or whatever it was." Yeah. But again, like based on the other people that are on this list right now, Larry Pacacello or whatever his name is, he's a yeah. he's an assistant defensive line coach here, and so it's like who's more impactful to the lineage of the organization? Trent Williams is, is is a guy that immediately comes to mind. And I know he was that coach. Larry was involved in the Super Bowl teams and was here for a very long time, 26 years or something like that. But in terms of impacting the the brand of, of the commanders, who is who's more significant? And I would say probably Trent Williams. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's uh, let's talk about some of the guys that are on the list because uh, you play with a bunch of them, and, yeah. and I guess I guess we can start with Cooley because you obviously were in the room with him. Uh, yeah. What I, I mean, I've worked with Chris. Like, I got to see the intellect and, and all the stuff that made him, from an understanding level, a great player. Was was it simply that, like, or was there more to him and the way that he played and the you know what he brought to a team than just like super smart guy that we got to all hear on the radio doing film breakdowns yeah obviously he's a very smart guy eccentric personality i think that's well documented but obviously uh, a guy who is physically very gifted i think he didn't get enough credit for how physically strong and fast and explosive he was especially kind of in those middle years of his career i mean he ran like a four six nine four six eight coming out of uh, college he squatted like set like 570 or 580 and he could power clean 445 and just a very explosive powerful man and people were like well he's 
you know, like his, his production is because of his intellect, but he was also a very skilled athlete. And that showed yeah. up a lot in practice and in games. And he played with a kind of reckless abandon. You know, the Captain Chaos thing was a well-warranted moniker. And of the guys on the list, I think there's a guy that kind of encapsulates an era more than anybody. He was the face of the franchise here. I was, you know, like going to UCLA and I was looking at tight ends around the NFL and I knew who Chris Cooley was being from L.A., because of his personality, because of his production on the field. So it wasn't, you know, he, he played in an area, an era where they didn't have like a true quarterback and he became, he became the organization. So to me, like that's a surefire lock for this list and a guy whose personality was larger than life. His play supported that for, you know, four or five years of his career. And I think that's, um, you know, like that, to me, it's like the easiest one on the list almost outside of Fletcher, maybe. Yeah, Fletch, and then I guess depending on what you want to do with Champ because of timelines again, like his Correct, best yeah. years were in Denver, but clearly Champ was the better player than Chris, um, and Chris would say that. Um, but the other thing I think about Cooley that, uh, you know, stories that I always enjoyed from him, working with him, was how he made football fun. And mm-hmm. like, I'm sure like you were one of the guys he did this with where, you know, he would come up with some nickname for like a muskrat or like you guys would use yeah. like animals or whatever to be able to to talk about coverages or to talk about how like the D line was split or like who you were going to double team and stuff like that. And he, he found ways to make things fun that also were easy to remember. And, and I think that can sometimes be hard for if you're a really intellectual player to then be able to communicate back to someone who may not be able to be quite on your level, quite on your speed. And obviously like you were there, which is super helpful. I'm sure for both of you guys that you mm. guys could speak that same language. But the way in which he was able to make football fun and, and make it accessible for whether it's, you know, and his post career listeners on the radio or for his teammates or whatever, that, that seemed to be another another special quality that he had. Um, Santana is another guy that you played yeah. with and a guy that I know very well um, and the guy that you obviously still work with now um, and a future podcast guest, we think. Um, <laughs> what, you know, I, Santana Moss. If he plays with better quarterbacks, it, to me, is a Hall of Fame receiver. The, yeah. the, the numbers he put up, considering who he was playing with, the offenses that he was on, with all due respect to some of the other guys that he played with, um, and some of whom are on, are on this list or, or would be on this list. Um, you know, Obviously, Clinton Portis is in a precarious situation right now. I, I think he's another guy that perhaps you look at as a potential omission here. I'd have to look back and make sure he's not on the 80 list. But um, you know, they, had some, they had some good players, but Santana, in terms of like pure skill, you talk about like guys you knew about, and, and I grew up, I've told this story before, but like I grew up as a Steve Smith fan and as a mm. kid growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, watching 89, like do his thing for the Panthers, and that small receiver wearing 89 who was tough as nails, like Santana was one of my favorite players because he reminded me of, of Smith. Mm-hmm. And the way that he played, the toughness he showed, the quickness, burst, and explosiveness he had, the ability to score from anywhere, like he is a great what if for me in the last 25 years of the NFL. Again, going back to like the idea that if he had just had better quarterback play, I wonder where he ranks on all-time lists for receiving yards, touchdowns, all that kind of stuff, considering how well he performed with some pretty rough and lean years and zero consistency and continuity. Because we talked earlier, too, about the relationship developing between Carson and Terry and like that year over year stuff and how it builds and how like Matt and Julio and Atlanta have that year over year stuff and how it builds Terry or uh, Santana literally never had that. Not yeah. one single year in his career. Did he play two consecutive full seasons with the same quarterback? And that's wild. 
And I, yeah, I think you bring up a whole bunch of great points there. And I've, and I've told this to Santana. He played probably 10 years too early. Like, if he's playing in today's NFL, like, he is he's the cheetah. He was, he was the cheetah before the cheetah, and they didn't know how to use... They didn't know how to use him back when he was playing. Like he was playing outside receiver. He played. Up, he lined up at X. He lined up at Z. He played that outside position, and there wasn't a lot of flexibility or nuance or creativity in terms of getting him the football. They didn't line him up in the slot. They didn't do all that stuff. That didn't happen until Mike got here. And you know, talking to Tan about it, I was like, man, you would have been uncoverable in the slot. And then they have the ability to kind of kick outside in the way that they use Cooper Cup or something like that. Like he just was. He was ahead of the curve. Um, from a skill set standpoint, and people just didn't know what to do with them because they were used to these big body, physical wide receivers that kind of were your X, were your Z, kind of your stereotypical guy, like your TO kind of body type. And um, and to have a guy who was this size doing what he was doing, um, again, was kind of one of those guys that the what if for me is if he gets in an offense today, what does this yeah. look like? And um and I think, he, he, again, he's like probably a surefire Hall of Famer because of the way he approaches the game, his competitiveness, all those different things. So I think that's those are important things to um, to kind of consider when talking about Tanner. And then on top of all that stuff and all the what-ifs, he was very, very productive while he was here. Fantastic right. teammate, fantastic dude. Um, and I think those are things that, um, that, that need to be considered when talking about him. And in terms of defining an era... Like, you know, we mentioned how Chris, like Chris Cooley defines that era and Tana played with him. And the only reason Tana doesn't define the era for me in terms of, you know, Washington football is because of his stint with the Jets and how he kind of bounced. You know, he started his career there. But again, that's a very small blemish on that on that kind of record. Yeah, he played 14 years in the NFL, had one, two, three, four thousand yard seasons uh and, and at the end of his career you know was playing a, a little bit less obviously but still uh very productive in, in his catches and in the, the time that he did get um his 2005 season was ridiculous he had 84 catches for 1483 yards nine touchdowns and uh he also i think had a, a pretty decent i think he had some punt return stuff that year as well that's on a different part of the page and i can't scroll to it right <laughs> now uh but you know he's he, just an incredible player uh anybody else on this list that you wanted to to specifically single out and talk about whether you played with them or uh or you didn't in, in, in doing research or just your yeah. general history and knowledge of the game that that sticks out i mean obviously like guys like london fletcher and ryan kerrigan again who were who were like who were the team when they were here like that was the guy that you looked to when London was here on defense he was the guy that kind of stuck out as even as a player with him like just the leadership the physicality the toughness that he showed and the kind of example that he set was unprecedented for me in my career and then playing with Ryan Kerrigan being a little bit older than him and just watching his maturation and his consistency I don't think he, I don't think he was the same type of vocal leader that London was, for example, but again, very productive, a pro's pro in terms of professionalism and a guy that the organization should be proud to acknowledge in a situation like this. So I think that's totally fantastic. Both those guys, obviously Alfred, I think is another guy that's really interesting because even though he didn't have maybe the longest career uh, of, of the guys on this list, but he had three of the best back-to-back -back rushing seasons of any player in the history of the NFL. And right. I think that needs to be acknowledged and it, and it should be supported. You know, people talk about Stephen Davis and what he did with his over 1,300 yards rushing um, in three consecutive years. I forget the years exactly, but very, very productive, 17 touchdowns. And Alfred crushes those numbers, you know, in terms of rushing, total rushing stats. 
And so while his he might not be this kind of illustrious, he might not be on the ziggurat of, of Washington football, he, I think he should be because of that production. And, um, you know, you mentioned Champ Bailey. Like, I looked up Champ Bailey because I was a big fan of his in Denver. But his time here in Washington was outstanding. He had two seasons back-to-back of five interceptions and then two seasons back-to-back of three interceptions, which is really, really, really high production for a guy in his first four years in the NFL. And that's not even talking about his tackles and his, his lockdown ability and what he did for the defense. So to have that to have him be productive, and obviously he didn't play a lot of his career here because he went to Denver, but I think those are interesting, interesting kind of anecdotes about those guys. And then Kirk Cousins, again, you mentioned all the passing records that he holds. Again, a guy with great leadership, great character, outstanding human being, and then to have that supported. And, and I think the important, the other thing that I admire about some of these guys is they were homegrown. You know, Ryan was drafted here. He grew up in the system. Alfred was drafted here. He grew up in the system. And Kirk was drafted here, grew up in the system. And I think those things, those variables are so important to, to consider because they, you know, like they, they were this organization from the very beginning as opposed to guys who were someplace else and then joined the team later on. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it's, you know, talk about like moments in time and all that kind of stuff. Um, I do wonder internally what the discussion was about Robert. Um, and by the mm. way, congrats, congrats to RG, uh, just named, uh, is Randy Moss's replacement on Monday night countdown this year. Oh my gosh. Wow. So congrats, congrats to Robert, Seriously, the guy yeah. that I got to know a little bit when he was here, obviously a guy you played with. Um, and you know, we'll see if we can get him. I, I I don't know whether ESPN will let him do our, our little our little podcast over here. Just kidding. It's a giant podcast with lots of listeners. Uh and growing, <laughs> by the way. Subscribe if you haven't. Uh but you know, I, I, I do wonder because for single season there is perhaps no greater certainly since the Super Bowl years, there's no greater single season than that twenty twelve season in terms right. of hype and electricity and production. You know, they haven't won a lot of playoff games. So, you know, you can't you can't do much better than making the playoffs in, in the context of what we're talking about. And yet that was it. Like that was literally it. His thirteen season, his fourteen season, you know, and then ultimately in fifteen is when he gets uh, pushed down to third string and Kirk is the full time starter, uh and you know, goes on to do what he does over the la- the next couple of years before ultimately departing from Minnesota. Um, but I do wonder if there's any internal discussion about Robert uh, in terms of that hype and electricity and, you know, what it was like. If And at this point, look, there aren't that many people in the organization left from that 2012 season. They've, they've changed mm-hmm. over everything. Um, but, uh, you know, if you talk to fans, like, that's still kind of, it's almost like people forget that that they won the division and made the playoffs in 15 with cousins and you know i know we obviously talked about it with will last week as, as someone who was on that team and you know that how good that offense was and all that kind of stuff but that didn't that didn't touch what it was in 12 from my understanding of it i wasn't here in 12 but you know the way the way people talk about it uh it's it's not the same and so yeah, I, the, I mean, the emotion around that 2012 season was pretty fantastic. I mean, it was, I was listening to John Kimes' podcast, and if you, you should go check that out if you're listening here and you're not listening to that. But he had Niles Paul on, and Niles Paul was like, oh, 2012 was the best season of my football career. And I felt the same way. And it's not only that we were winning football games, but it was because the 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 atmosphere around the team was so fantastic and a big part of that was Robert and the excitement around him and what this team could be and um, I think you're right I think in terms of capturing a moment that would be a really interesting name to put on this list he'll never be on this list because of I think the stuff that's happened after you know and and honestly like we can say all that and also say he doesn't deserve to be on the list because it's one season it it is 
one of the greatest flashes in the pan in the history of the NFL, but that's what it was. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, to bring things full circle, Trent Williams was also on that team, and Trent got screwed, and I don't like it. <laughs>